My name is Tim, and I love Christmas carols. Honestly, I love all things Christmas. I've also been a church musician and worship leader for over 20 years. On this podcast, we're going to explore some of the most popular and beloved Christmas carols of all time. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Nope, not that. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Definitely not that. I mean, the carols many of us grew up singing in church or hearing on TV specials and movies. If you take some time and slow down and really dig into those carols, you'll find profound hope and peace. And in small pockets of quiet this holiday season, you can find comfort and joy. This is Comfort and Joy. Welcome to uh, this episode of Comfort and Joy. I am so glad you came back for another episode. And today it's a pretty exciting uh, episode because I actually get to have my boss and my pastor on uh, today. Dr. Scott Fenton has been the pastor of Meadows Baptist Church for over 30 years. Uh, he and his wife, Judy, have three kids and they have two grandkids. And so uh I, you know, I've said throughout this series that I've allowed the um, guests to pick their own Christmas carol. Well, Dr. Scott is the exception to the rule because, uh, well, as you'll hear some of his story, um, the Holy Land is a very big passion of his. And so I asked him uh, if he would come on and talk about the, the Christmas carol, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. And so, Dr. Scott, welcome. Thank you, Tim. It's great to be here, and I'm so excited to be part of Comfort and Joy. Yeah. What better thing to offer to the community in these days of uncertainty than Absolutely. comfort and joy? Absolutely, and that is the whole purpose of this of this podcast, is that when people find it, um, that they, they grab onto the real comfort and joy of Christmas. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia, and there's a lot of fun things that come around Christmas. However, those things are very fading um, but the true hope is found in Christ and the, and the redemption story of Christ as a child and Christ grown to a man and he loved and he came and he saved and he did so many things that, that only he could do and died on a cross and so and, and rose again. And so this morning, uh, we're going to jump into a Christmas carol that you may know. One of the many familiar voices of Christmas. A little town of Bethlehem. Yes, uh, a wonderful Christmas carol that has significant meaning, I think, to you, Dr. Scott, because tell a little bit just before we go into the carol. Why is why is that? Why would I pick that song for you? Well, it, it is one of my passions to bring the sights and stories of the Bible to life because I had the privilege of living in the Holy Land. Uh, many years ago, and exploring just about every nook and cranny of the Holy Land. So when you're talking about uh, the Christmas story, it really is. It's not a made-up story. It's a right. geographically 
uh, ordained story that happened at a spot on planet Earth according to God's prophetic design. So uh, it's a thrill for me to talk about Bethlehem because I've been there many times. Well, we're going to get to that. I want to give a little history on the Christmas carol itself, the writers of the carol, and then we're going to dive into uh, I love that 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 you are going to be able to be able to bring that concept to life with this with the with the geography. Hey, before you do that, Tim, yeah. I do want to share with our listeners. This is pretty cool for us as a church. Uh, they may not be aware this is our first podcast. Yeah, that you have developed for us, and and we're right here in the Meadows Studio yep. on site. Yeah, that we've developed over the last nine months because of the COVID nineteen situation. Right, right behind you is our green screen and our camera lights, and so we yeah we've we've turned this room into what once was just a choir music room has has been shifted and transformed <laughs> into a wonderful well, yeah. and it is as you mentioned the green screen, every week I bring to life some sight from the Bible in my Dig It episodes, Uh, but we're using the studio today, of course, to take people and transport them to that that location in Bethlehem that we'll get into, that this this wonderful uh, Christmas carol is all about. And we're going to do at the end of the episode, we'll make sure uh, at the show notes that we add to this podcast that we have links to the dig it to your to the to the, the actual video series, so people can go on and see the visually the passion and the, the places that you've already explored in the last twenty some odd episodes. I think we've done yeah. since all this started. So absolutely love that, love that. So a little town of Bethlehem was written by a man named Philip Brooks. Now Philip Brooks was a big dude. He was six six, three hundred pounds. So he could <laughs> he could have been a wrestler or he could have yeah. been a linebacker. I mean something. He was a big man. Great preacher. He was a preacher. Yes, he was. He was a he was Episcopal preacher. Um, and what what his something that was written about him? His delivery came in lightning bursts. He felt he had more to say than the time in which he had to say. Have you ever felt that way before, Doctor Scott? <laughs> I like that sentiment for sure. <laughs> yes, he, I think that's a lot of pastors feel that way. There's so many good things to say, and I have thirty or forty or fifty minutes to say them. And so, yeah, he felt that he was very much that was a burden of his heart. He also led one of the fastest growing churches in Philadelphia. Um, so kind of the mega church movement of that era. Um, but at one point, he was the he was a pastor during the Civil War. A lot of these Christmas carols, as we've have we discovered throughout the podcast, were written during the Civil War era, whether they were written in England or they were written in America, it was that 1800s period. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think as a pastor, he was um, getting exhausted from ministry, you know, leading a, a very fast-growing church, you know, preaching passionately. He was the um, he was the pastor who gave the eulogy for Lincoln's funeral. One author says, seeing a great leader senselessly slain and the exhaustion of the effort left him void of everything he needed as a pastor. So he was he was depleted wow. uh, in an attempt to rediscover and restore his own faith. He left the pulpit to visit the Holy Land. So I just thought that was a really amazing... I didn't know that. That's yeah. cool. And so he went over there, and he went to the Holy Land, and while he was over in the Holy Land, um, he was in Jerusalem, and he wanted to go to Bethlehem. And so he grabbed a horse and said, I'm going to go on horseback. And, and several people warned him of bandits on that journey during that yeah. time, that there would there'd be a lot of potential crime there. And he said, I'll be fine. And so he took a horse back, and he rode over there in 1865, he attended, get this, a five-hour Christmas Eve service, <laughs> five hours in, in Bethlehem and the Church of the Nativity in that, yeah. in that, in that area um, from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. So 
you know, if you're out there and you're listening and you complain that your worship service goes too long, listen, <laughs> it's never going to go this long. I promise. Five hours, five hour service. But in that time, he said, I remembered standing in the old church in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born, when the whole church was ringing hour after hour with splendid hymns of praise to God, how again and again it seemed as if I could hear voices I knew well telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth. So he told his family that that experience would forever change him and it began a singing in his soul. And so it did have the effect that he hoped it would. It yeah. restored his faith and renewed him. What a great story. I'd never heard that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And he, he actually wrote a fifth stanza that we don't sing very much because it was really written more for children. He wrote the Christmas carol to teach to kids for Christmas morning services. So his fifth verse says, Where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child, where misery cries out to the son of the mothered mild, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door, the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. So see, there's this a little bit in that verse you probably would we would leave out because we we pray to the risen Savior. We pray, you know, to, so we wouldn't pray to the child. It was a it was a creative event. Um, and then so that's really the story of the carol. Like that's where the carol came from. He had an organist named Lewis Redner, who um, who was also the superintendent for Sunday schools in that area where he was that wrote the, the, the melody and really struggled with the melody. In fact, he had been given the charge um, by Brooks to have the melody ready for Christmas morning service to teach the children. And Christmas Eve, he still didn't have it. Wow. Like he was wrestling with it. And then all of a sudden, middle of the night, he woke up and like out of a movie, he, he, he came up with the melody just like that. Huh. And they taught it. And the rest is, is history. So that's kind of the story of how the, how the hymn came into being and kind of a little bit of backstory of Philip Brooks as a pastor uh, and as a hymn writer, and I just I found that story very uh, inspiring from a standpoint of we all find ourselves burnt out at times. Yeah. And so, what do you what, take us through? What you've got through a little town? Because I know you've got some great great exploration for us. Well, it, it is an apt phrase, Tim. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Yeah. Uh, it it was a village, uh, probably only had a few hundred people resident at the time of Christ's birth. Mm. Uh, it's just a couple of miles south of Jerusalem, so uh, Brooks would have been able to ride that horse pretty easily. Uh, I've many times uh, gone to Bethlehem, uh, and though there's not the concern for bandits today, uh, there there is a checkpoint to go really? into Bethlehem because there there is unrest in that area. It's part of what's known as the West Bank. Uh, so they, it's it's greatly monitored the entrance and exits from Bethlehem that your car might be checked or mm. you, you might be interviewed uh, to go in and out of there. But it is, uh, uh, of course, very special to us in our Christian faith. The name Bethlehem actually uh, means the house of bread, Beit Lehem in Hebrew, uh, so it's it's interesting that God would uh, ordain that the bread of life right, would be right. born in the house of bread, uh, which Bethlehem really is. Uh, this is a great prayer. In fact, uh, every devout Jew prays this prayer every day, Tim. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam ha'motzeh. Lachem men haaretz, which means, "Blessed are you, O Lord our God, 
king of the universe who has brought forth bread from the earth. Beautiful. So it's it's really cool to think about that Jews who have not yet recognized Jesus as Hamashiach, the Messiah, uh, every day they're praying, thanking God for giving bread. And of course, today, more than ever before, Tim, since the first century, when of course, almost all believers were Jewish initially, and of course, Jesus himself was Jewish, uh, more and more Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ today than ever before. And so uh, it certainly has deeper meaning to a messianic Jew to right. pray this prayer because they know they see the that double symbolism. The true bread yeah. of life is Jesus Christ. But even before the birth of Jesus, Bethlehem was very significant biblically. Yeah. Uh, as you know, Tim, Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. Right. Uh, from First Samuel seventeen, he was one of eight. Sons of Jesse that was chosen to be uh, become the king, the second king of Israel. Uh, and even then before the story of David uh, is the story of Rachel, um, Jacob's wife. And she, you remember when Jacob journeys back to his homeland, mm-hmm. uh, Rachel is pregnant with Benjamin. Uh, Joseph's younger brother. Okay, and she she dies actually uh, in childbirth and is buried just outside of Bethlehem, and it's a commemorated site today. So that's uh, still there. You can you can see where that that's site right. was. Okay, yeah, uh, that's from Genesis chapter thirty-five. Another biblical story that most of our listeners uh, will be very familiar with is the Book of Ruth. And that yes. was that story uh, two times has as its location uh, Bethlehem. That's where Naomi came from, right? And right. her family migrates across the Jordan River uh, to the area of Moab, uh, that is current day Jordan, because of a famine. And then, of course, in the story, uh, her husband dies. Naomi's husband Elimelech dies, and their two sons who marry Moabite women die. Right. And of course, the book is named after one of those uh, widows that married Naomi's uh, son, that was Ruth, that comes back with her uh, back to Bethlehem. And of course, she, she becomes. Uh, part of the lineage of the Messiah, and David comes from uh, from that marriage as as Ruth marries Boaz, who was a, a very successful farmer right. in Bethlehem. Right. So right. a lot of great stories there, but of course for us, most importantly, it's the birthplace of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. So I thought I'd just read from Matthew two. Uh, the story that that tells the birth of Jesus there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod, this is going to be important, and I'll tell later in our podcast, uh, Herod, the king, 
is is going to build a monumental fortress right outside of Bethlehem. Okay, that's a contrast to uh, this uh, poor itinerant birth of Jesus here in Bethlehem. But you remember the wise men; they come to Herod. Uh, and and ask, you know, where where is the Savior, the one born King of Jews, because we've seen his star and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. It threatened him personally right, right, yeah. and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, he wasn't a Bible scholar himself, so he has to secretly inquire where is the prophetic place that Messiah is to be born? And of course, uh, the scribes knew implicitly in verse five, they said, it's in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what was written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." This is a quote from the Old Testament book of Micah. Right, Micah 5, right? Yeah, Micah chapter 5. That's exactly right. So this was all part of God's plan. And we see historically down through the ages, you know, God would kind of uh, give preparatory glory to this geographical location through the story of Ruth and through the story of King David. And then, of course, uh, God would help people to recognize through the prophetic verse from Micah that Bethlehem is going to be the place where Jesus is born. Right. You mentioned earlier, Tim, the church of the nativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, our listeners probably would be uh, interested to know that that the, the church of the nativity is the oldest complete church in the Christian world. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I wasn't aware of that. And it's uh, you can you can visit the place today. It was built by the emperor Justinian in the sixth century, so it's about fifteen hundred years old. Okay, it replaced the original church of Constantine the Great, the first Christian emperor right. of the Roman Empire, uh, and he built it. Uh, tradition says over the cave that was venerated. Uh, as the birthplace of Christ and and dedicated that original church in 339 A.D. So uh, one of the interesting things about it, when you visit the Church of the Nativity today, Tim, there's there's one entrance to it, and you have to you have to bow, you have to stoop to get through the door. <laughs> really, it's a small small yeah. door. Okay, okay. Uh, which was really for defensive purposes. It was designed that way, but it certainly has a nice spiritual application. You Absolutely. know that you have to humble yourself, humble yourself to come out to the king right. to that place. Uh, an interesting story from history, the Persians invaded Palestine in 614 and destroyed many of the churches uh, in the region, but they spared the Church of the Nativity when they saw a mosaic on an interior wall depicting the three wise men 
because they were they were dressed as Persians, uh, these wise wow. men from the east. Okay, right. So right. rather than destroying the church, they because of that connection with their heritage, they spared that's amazing. The that God, I mean, even in that, Pretty God cool. used the Persians, the story of the Persian, you yeah. know, the, the wise men to uh-huh. protect that area. Wow. Yeah, really neat. Yeah. So the, it, it is. It's just wonderful to remember. Of course, those of us who uh, are are faith believers, we we know the Bible is real. But I just never tire in in reminding people this is not mythology. Right. These are not made up stories. These are geographically, geologically, chronologically, historically rooted. These wonderful stories of our faith, and of course, Bethlehem is no exception. Now, another thing about Bethlehem, Tim, uh, for pilgrims who go there, you know, thousands and thousands every year, uh, there's also a place that's visited in Bethlehem, not just the church and the nativity, uh, but the shepherds' fields, right, right. Talk because, about that. It, you know, in the in, uh, you may have other uh, Christmas carols that are going to depict the the shepherds and the angels, but of course that happens in Bethlehem, right, as right. well. And the area today, it's it's a uh, it's a neighborhood, a subset of Bethlehem. It's called Beit Sahur, which means the house of the shepherds. Uh, and even today, the uh, the hills uh, in Beit Sahur neighborhood, there are lots of uh, caves there okay. uh, that have been used for centuries for uh, a place to keep animals at night, the, sh- the sheep there. Uh, and it was this area where originally that's what the shepherds were doing. Wow. You remember the the scriptures as they were watching over their flock at night, and the angels appear to them. Right. Uh, this is the other part of the nativity story um, that uh, really features this part of Bethlehem. So uh, let me read just a part of this. Oh, please, please, please. Uh, verse 4, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. We've talked about that connection because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Mm-hmm. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That manger, by the way, Tim, you know, typically we depict it with some kind of wooden trough. Right, right. Uh, it, it probably was a stone one. Right, I've seen, I've seen some, some but, but I think the, the traditional one we've seen growing up is the little cross-braced. Yes. You know, well, yeah, it yeah. looks like a triangle, but I think it makes more sense that it would be stone. It would last longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then verse 8 really features the shepherds mm-hmm. that this this region is named after Beit Sahor, the house of the shepherds. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
They were terrified. Right, yes. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rested. And of course, we know the story. They hurried off and they they found Jesus and saw uh, Joseph and Mary and worshiped uh, the Lord Jesus yeah. and gave him uh, the the praise and the glory. So uh, it's really uh, the last stanza of this great uh, hymn says, we hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, oh, come to us, abide with mm-hmm. us our Lord, Emmanuel. So great, great story that really captures this yeah. this village uh, that is still a vibrant community today. I love that. And I love the way you walked us through the geography of the area. Um, I think what I want to do is when I come, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about each of the verses. You kind of alluded to that last Good. verse. And then we'll talk a little bit about the verses. And then what I really want to do is is a hundred percent put your pastor hat on. Let's talk about how we can like what what the hope we can find. How can we can apply the the um the Christmas Carol of Little Town of Bethlehem into directing us to having hope during this time. Great. All right. just take some time to go through the lyrics and really just not, we won't take a long time on them, but just any observations, any, you know, application we can take straight to where we are living. Cause I think it's important that we, we understand that these songs are rooted, like you said before in history, these are real events. Yeah. These are not fictional, you know, things that, that we, that we made up to pretend there's lots of witnesses. There's lots of historical accounts. So we know that it's real. Um, but how we can take the lyrics that that um, Brooks wrote and how we can maybe see those to, to applying to our lives biblically. So the first verse I'll read, it just says, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What do you hear from that verse? What 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 do you like about that verse? Well, it it, it references the silent stars. Of course, there was one magnificent star that that led those those wise men in their search. It yeah. was an indication to them that the Messiah had been born. And I guess the thing that strikes me most, Tim, it, it it really was not a um, a place of grandeur. Bethlehem right. wasn't. Yes. It's yes. A, a little town of Bethlehem, uh, and yet it, it was in this place that that God designed 
the greatest hope uh, of all eternity would step into humanity. And I, I think that's that's just a great reminder that it's it's in the the ordinary struggles of life. God can come to us right where we are. Exactly. We don't have to be at church. We don't have to be in a magnificent place. It's it's in the the humdrum of life yeah. that God wants to bring to us the hope and the peace and the purpose. And to me, that's what Jesus' birth in Bethlehem represents. Are you telling me that God can meet me in Walmart? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I love that. I, it's exactly my thoughts were the same is that, you know, there was so much about Bethlehem that was so low key, that was so um, simple and there's so many parts of our day, I think, that we just kind of maneuver through without thinking how God can meet us in those places and yeah. those spaces. And so I also love, I love the the phrase, the everlasting light. It reminds me of John 1, you know, where it yeah. says the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. I think that's the everlasting light was shining in that dark place. Bethlehem was a small town. There were no nightclubs. There were yeah. no, you know, there wasn't, a, there were no city lights yet. None of that. Um, and so that light shining in the darkness was the it was the very beginning right there. And so I love that with verse one. Um, yeah, love. Okay, verse two says, For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. We've talked about um, another uh, episode we talked about um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and that talks about peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, he reuses that as the refrain. And there we see, again, referencing Luke 2, peace to men on earth. What do you hear in verse 2? Anything that jumps out at you there? Well, it's a great reminder. The The context of Jesus' birth, remember, Tim, was was quite extraordinary. I mean, think about this, this young uh, expecting probably teenager right, yeah. that travels from the Galilee in in the north, and and she is she is fully pregnant and expecting. So you know she didn't take a, a cab, she didn't <laughs> fly a plane. I mean, it was an arduous journey there yeah. in in her at the end of her last trimester. Think of the that. The hardest time to travel. <laughs> Every doctor will tell you, don't travel in yeah. your final. Now, real quick question. You may not know the answer to this, but is it, we see the depictions in movies and in stories of her riding a donkey. Do you think that's accurate? Do you think she had to walk? I mean, do you think that she got to ride something or do you think because of their their level of poverty that they really they yeah. were just on foot the whole time well that's a good question uh it it, it probably that's certainly not a stretch it okay probably it probably uh was uh, it, it would be hard to imagine uh mary making that journey on foot okay at okay. that stage of her pregnancy um but again, it, it's just a reminder. Sometimes we think if God's in something, then everything just works out so wonderfully and oh, perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if we step back and we think about that, there's part of you that would that would shout out, "This is the worst possible timing." Yeah. You know, any yeah. other time would have been better. Yep. Uh, so it's just a remember a reminder that that God's greatest work 
It, it, it usually comes in the nitty gritty of life, yes. in the challenges and the struggles, when things aren't perfectly aligned like we might hope that they would be, you know, that we would have thought, gosh, why, why couldn't they have made that? Why couldn't jo- Joseph come uh, two months earlier yeah. or three months later? This is the worst possible time to have to, that the, the, the hated Roman Empire is making him yeah. journey to bed. You know, it seemed unfair. It seemed, yeah, yes, yeah, and, and you could even see how easy it would be as people of faith to be frustrated with God. Why are you allowing this mm-hmm. to happen? Mm-hmm. And yet, of course, we see no. This was all orchestrated by right. God, right? And maybe it is a good reminder for us in the midst of our struggles in our circumstances that aren't ideal like we would prefer to remember yes. God is always at his word. Man, that's good. And I'll tell you what, I mean, we know that both of our families have gone through their share of difficult times over the years. And, and I think yeah. anybody listening, if you've been alive for any amount of time, you've gone through hard times and maybe you said the question, God, this isn't fair. Why are you letting me go through this? I have. I mean, I've asked that before. <laughs> sure. But this is such a great reminder in, in, in the Christmas time when you slow down and you take it not from the the pretty nativity scene you put up on your mantle, yeah. which is all clean and set up. This was a messy story. It, ex- it was, absolutely it was. It was messy from start to finish. I mean, for everything from Mary being pregnant before wed, wed, you know, wedlock was, yeah. that was that was something that people looked at negatively. And then the trip and then having to give birth in, the, in, in a, a, a cave. Yeah. Um, nothing about this story was clean and neat and tidy. It was, and God meets us in the mess, but God uses the mess for his glory yeah. and for his purpose and for a larger story than we can see. And that's what's that's what a great reminder for me Christmas time is. And and this songs like this remind me of the story is bigger. Yeah. So um, let's see. Verse three. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming. But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Christ enters in. Whoa, there's a lot in there. You could probably have a whole sermon on that one verse. Yeah, that is beautiful. Yeah, talk about that. Well, uh, the the meekness that it references there, and the the nondescriptness, the unexpectedness, uh, all of that is a beautiful reminder that if if we will walk each day humbly before God. Uh, and 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 ask God to keep us alert to what He's doing and to His presence in our circumstances in our lives. Yeah. Uh, that's what Bethlehem and the story of the Nativity represents. Because remember, even as much as we celebrate the wise men and the shepherds, remember, Tim, that the great majority of the residents of Bethlehem had no clue. No clue, right. They were going about their day, their night, yeah. no problem. Right, yeah. right. And I think that's a reminder that that's uh, an analogy, sadly, of how many Christians, how we often live our lives. Right. We are, we're not attuned to the great things that God is doing. Yep. Uh, that that does take a meekness and a humility and alertness and attentiveness uh, that we we need to cultivate to yeah. be great disciples. I'll add one word to that: a quietness. You have to quiet yourself 
I think we get so noisy. I, I love noise sometimes. And I think that first line, how silently, how silently the That's wondrous good. gift is given. If we are noisy and we're loud and we don't turn down the world, we can miss a lot of it. Yeah. We can miss a lot of what Christ is doing. Yeah, that's really good. This is great. I love I love this unpacking of it. And the final verse, we, we, we talked about verse four, so we won't really go into that one. That's the kind of the long lost verse. That, But the last verse I love because to me, it's really the prayer of receiving Christ. It's, it's, the, it's the, the listener now. We've heard the story, right? And now the listener is saying, Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. And so he just, Brooks in that last verse says, all right, we've told the story. Now let's let's offer the invitation, right? Let's yeah. let's give an opportunity for people. Yeah, the preacher's bringing it home there. He, yeah, you know that. Yeah. Well, it is. A, it's a it's a beautifully uh, worded invitation. Be born in us. Yeah. And that's really a reminder that every true Christian has to relive personally the experience of the nativity. Yes. Because as Jesus said in John 3, unless a person is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's right. So each of us, it's not enough to treasure the hymnology, to treasure the Christmas traditions. Mm-hmm. This this miracle of God stepping out of heaven and growing in Mary's womb, being orchestrated by the divine plan of God to be at that one site in all of the universe to be born as the prophets had predicted right. in Bethlehem, that that same birth process has to happen for us, that we come to know Christ, receive him into our lives, and Christ who was born of Mary, is born in us. And as Paul said in Ephesians, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Right. Christ. But Christ lives in me. Yeah, So exactly right. it's a great reminder. And um, I'd love to kind of share a contrast, uh, Tim. Sure. With King Herod, I mentioned earlier. Yeah, let's go back and talk about that. Uh, Herod was, of course, he is reviled by Christians because of his antagonism and his attempt to find and kill the the baby Messiah. Uh, but historically, Herod was a magnificent king, okay. a magnificent builder, one of the greatest in the, that the Middle East has ever known in all of human history. And Herod was renowned for his fortresses. Okay. Probably the most famous for our listeners might well be acquainted with the desert fortress of Masada. Okay, that's okay. That that was down by the Dead Sea. Okay, and and it was one of a, a, a half dozen uh, fortresses that Herod built in the in his region. Um, there was another in what present day is in Jordan called Macaris or Mukawir, where John the Baptist was imprisoned and beheaded. Okay, uh, but the 
many think the greatest fortress that he ever built. He also built one. He had a palace uh, in Jericho. Okay. It was a summer palace fortress that he built. But there was one just outside of Bethlehem that Herod, to display the glory of his kingdom, it was a man-made mountain. Really? <laughs> yeah. He built a mountain. He built. He literally built a mountain and built a fortress in it. And you can see it from Bethlehem today. You can see the remains of this uh, fortress that it was the greatest one. And, it, and Herod named it after himself. It's called the Herodian. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, Herod... Uh, prepared for his death that he would be buried on this uh, fortress of the Herodian. Okay, okay. And it, it was magnificent. I mean, you can you can tour it today, and it, it is awe-inspiring to think about what it would have been like in the days of the birth of Christ. So when you think about this, here's this human king, Herod, who is touting his fame and his glory and his architectural prowess with these buildings. Of course, he built the temple in Jerusalem right. uh, that Jesus taught at as well. Uh, but he prepares this great fortress to show the splendor of his glory. And just a, a stone's throw away, Tim, there in the caves of Bethlehem, the real king of kings right. is, is born almost in obscurity, in a manger. And this contrast where yeah. Herod was re renowned as the great king and displays his glory, but the greater king still comes humbly mm. and is born in a yep. manger, and yet he is the king of all kings. Right. And Herod and everyone else in the world will one day bow their knee That's exactly. before Jesus Christ. It just made me think of another song, not Christmas song, but the, the um, Gaither song, Kings and Kingdoms Will All Pass Away. Yeah. Right? And I, th I just think about that story that Herod worked so hard to build up his own kingdom, right? And he, I mean, textbook narcissist as far as like, just he thought he was the be the greatest and he thought he was even divinity at times, I think. But that God in the flesh came and didn't have to, didn't have to have the massive kingdom. Yeah. You know, his kingdom was so upside down from what anybody else expected. That That's that's the story. That's the juxtaposition between seeing the Herod, the Herod fortress and then the little town of Bethlehem. Well, it, it's just a, it, it's one of the greatest hymns of Christian history, not yeah. just Christmas hymns, because with without the incarnation, without the birth of Christ, of course, there would be no redemption, no resurrection, right. no salvation. Right. So uh, it's certainly a wonderful hymn to embrace and enjoy and to make certain that this one who was born in Bethlehem is born in each of our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's transition here for the last couple minutes. Um, now, you are not a musician as such. You're a pastor. You're, you're a theologian. You're, you're, so when I said, give me your favorite version of this song, you were like, yeah, I just, I like the carol. But we did talk for a while. And so we'll, we'll play a little bit of what we did land on as your favorite version. You can tell us why it's your favorite right. version. And then we'll we'll go on to mine and we'll we'll land the plane. But here's here's Dr. Scott Fenton's favorite version of a little town of Bethlehem. Oh, little 
town of Bethlehem How still we see the light Who are we listening to right That's the king singing about the king Oh, that's, that's brilliant <laughs> Well done That's Elvis Elvis Presley. Now, what what about this version? Did you when you picked it, you said what what do you what do you like about it? Do you remember growing up listening to oh, it? Oh, you know, of course, the craze over Elvis was my earliest years, Tim, growing up, and I I used to have a little uh, hair lick that I combed back that I thought that made me look like Elvis, and I had kind of a half smile that I thought was an Elvis smile. You were so. practicing the Elvis look, so this kind of that's awesome. So yeah, anything Elvis sings, you gotta you gotta enjoy that. That's awesome and you know Elvis has got some great versions of Christmas songs out there and this one has a very traditional feel to it. the organ at the beginning makes yeah. me think of the church settings so no I love it I, I had, I've heard a lot of Elvis songs and Christmas carols but I hadn't listened through this one but and of course his voice is very familiar and it's feel it's I wouldn't say as far as Christmas goes it's it's not Bing Crosby level right. but it's real familiar and yeah. it's, so that's there's a lot about these Christmas songs that the familiar is part of the comforting part uh-huh. of it you know you go oh it I've is. heard this version uh, and I'm pretty sure my grandmother had that record uh, growing up. I, the, just the co- the album cover, I went, oh. Now, so just like you, the version that I picked was one that was popular when I was growing up. And I'm a child of the 80s. Uh-huh. So um, Amy Grant was really coming into massive popularity yeah. when I was. And we've already referenced Amy Grant a couple times on here. Um, but this is a version that takes a different uh, approach on the melody. Nice 80 synthesizers. <laughs> this version because she uses what's called mixed meter she me- she mixes in a three four and then a five four and i just think that sounds so cool and if you don't know what that means that's okay hey i really don't music and melodies may change but the truths are timeless that's exactly right i love that yeah that might be the best quote from from the whole podcast music and melodies may change but the truth is timeless yeah so that's so we listened to elvis presley's a little town of bethlehem and then little town by amy grant today we're kind of our two versions to listen through and uh, and so you can go. We'll find those on our show notes. You'll have those on there. So if you want to go find them, um, those are those have been our favorite versions. Last question for you, and we'll land this plane. What is one of your favorite Christmas traditions to celebrate with your family or in the church or maybe one of both? Uh, I, I think that's a great question. Of course, growing up, I, I have such fond memories of the excitement of opening presents sure. on Christmas of morning. Course. Uh, as I have aged and been blessed to to purchase about anything I want anyway, the presents of Christmas ha- have waned in significance. Sure, uh, but I-, I think the the thing that I treasure most about Christmas the the Christmas story is a family story, Tim. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know that that that's the family that God was stepping in to bring hope and significance to Joseph's family. And of course, it comes to the whole world. So for me, the the best part of Christmas 
is the connection with family yeah. and and being able to uh, to to ground my family in faith and and with the Lord Jesus. Absolutely, and I've watched you do that with those two grandboys, especially since yeah. they've come around since I've known you. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a beautiful beautiful tradition, and so. I really appreciate your time today. It's been an honor to have you on. We get to work together every day, every week, but this is such a different setting for us to get to sit and talk at length about a Christmas carol. Um, so I really have appreciated the time you've honored with us today. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, I do want to invite folks, if you'd like to see a little bit more of the biblical geography come to life, check out Dig It with Dr. Scott. Absolutely. We'll put that link in the show notes so people can click onto it and go watch it. Okay, Tim. All thanks. right. Thank you, guys. Comfort and Joy was recorded at Torn Curtain Studios in Plano, Texas. It was produced by me, Tim Groves, and Meadows Baptist Church. For more information and links to sources for today's show, please see our show notes. The theme music for Comfort and Joy was written and arranged by Dennis Lambert. For more info or to support him and his craft, you can do so on his Patreon account, and you can find that link on our show notes. Finally, Remember to check out meadowsbaptist.org and join us for our weekly live stream services, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Stay safe, stay hopeful, and remember, there is comfort and joy this holiday season, no matter what season you're in. Mm-hmm.